getting to meet some really cool people like Mike Tyson and, you know, amateur boxing tournaments, guys like Roy Jones and, you know, looking at these guys who, you know, went on to do amazing things in boxing, you know, uh, being identified with that, that group of people, you know, that you saw at training camps, you know, if they saw you and you talk to them, to them a little bit, they go, yeah, I remember you, pineapple. Or Mike Tyson, like, yeah, man, I remember you. You're that little boy from Hawaii. You know, yes. And you know he never remember, but you know, uh, it's nice to just you know have gone through that kind of cool experience. The rewards, the rewards of hard work and being able to go to places that you only imagined or dreamed of as a little kid. Because you know, I grew up, you know, everybody knows that I grew up poor, so being able to uh, be in places where you only see in books blew me away as you know as a, a young boy from Kali. that's my my great memorable moments welcome to the hnl movement podcast where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities sports and life join me in my professional journey as i share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals colleagues clients and you with one goal in mind how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to another edition of the HNL Movement Podcast. Thank you for joining me again this week. If you're a returning listener, I really appreciate all of the support. If this is your first time tuning in, I would like to welcome you to this great episode and check out all of the previous episodes. For those of you that like what you're hearing, please go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast and leave some helpful feedback for other people to find the podcast as well. Today's guest needs no introduction. If you are from Hawaii, even if you're not from Hawaii, you may have heard of this name. I would like to welcome Augie T, Augie Toba to the podcast. And like many of you listening out there, I grew up listening to Augie T, his comedy, all of the things that he does around the community. And this was a great episode. I really had a lot of fun talking to Augie and listening into all of the stories that he has, all of these experiences that he has to share. And he recently just got elected to the Honolulu City Council, representing District 9, which is an amazing feat. And I'm so excited to see all of the great things that he will continue to do for the community in the future. I don't want to say any more because we talk about so many things that he's experienced and you really got to listen to this episode. It doesn't matter where you are in life, what you're doing, what you're planning to pursue. A lot of the things that Augie talks about is very relatable to everyone. So check it out. This is a great listen. Let's jump straight into the episode. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. I'm excited about this episode. Got a well-known comedian in the community. Mr. Augie T to join me today, and it's going to be a great episode. Thanks so much for joining me, Augie. Thank you so much. I, I'm sorry that you guys have to uh, watch and look at the background. I, you see, that's my mom's favorite K-pop singer. I'm in my mom's room, uh, and my mom, you know, was compelled to decorate her room. Mom and dad moved into my home about seven years ago because my dad got really sick. And, you know, he needed attention, medical, and with, you know, paying for that and 
paying for their home was just too difficult and tough. So they moved in and we didn't have uh, end game. So my dad passed away. My mom is still here. My mom is just, you know, as you can see. But some of that, you got to be converting right into K-pop. Are you a K-pop fan too? You know, I like Blackpink. Uh, I've taken my family to Korea. So I got hired to do comedy in Korea to uh, perform for troops. And, you know, everywhere in the world, there's local people from Hawaii. And there were about 200 and they requested I come up and do comedy. The military took care of our flights. Uh, and the trade-off was if they can fly my daughter and my wife because they're, they're big BTS fans. So we arranged the homie performing for the military around this BTS concert. I had no idea who BTS was. All I knew was that uh, maybe it was the Thursday before the show, but I went to the Seoul Korea or stadium and I've never seen so much Korean girls in my life. I was like, wow. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't just one day. It was just, you know, a week. So, you know, I was introduced to uh, BTS and, uh, you know, I'm a, I won't say I'm a huge fan, but I like their music. I mean, they're taking the world by storm right now. So, yeah, to get started, I mean, everyone, you're a well-known uh, name in the Hawaii community and everything. And you recently just ran for city council member, I believe, and congratulations on winning. But for all of the local comedians, it's it's interesting to hear your story. I mean, I've talked to Tony Silva, who you know, Tumua Tuine, who's coming, who's up and coming now. And all of them everyone's stories it's so interesting to see how they got into comedy so let's start there Augie with your story growing up you know everyone has heard it in your bits and everything but explain a little bit about what was your childhood like growing up in Kalihi I believe and yeah everything so you know I'm the oldest of five right so my dad maybe kind of sensed that uh if I stayed around in the summer. I would have hang out with kids that he hang around with growing up in Kalihi Valley housing. Mm -hmm. So every summer he would send me away so I can be with my older cousins so they can, you know, uh, not only watch over me, maybe help me understand and, you know, by their examples of hard work, you know, not involved with uh, the community because, that you've heard it, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And my dad knew that the kids that I hang around with uh, during the school year might have not been the best examples. I love them to death and I still friends mm -hmm. with some of them, some of them in jail, some of them passed away. Uh, but he just felt like maybe that I had a chance to do something special. You know, uh, so he protected me and sent me away to be around my older cousins who, again, went to work, uh, showed me something outside of Kalihi. And uh, one summer, my auntie dragged me to a concert, an Yvonne Element concert. 
I don't know if you guys remember Yvonne Element. She sang the song, If I can't help you, I don't want nobody, baby. And my, I was you know, doing the Saturday Night Fever phase. My auntie loved Yvonne Element. I was watching my auntie just, you know, rock out, Filipino lady about uh, four feet, five maybe. She was just, you know, I can't help you, I don't want. And I was like, why am I here? <laughs> and in the fourth grade, why am I here watching all these old people dance? I wanted to see the guy that opened for Yvonne Element. Uh. So Andy Bumatai opened for Yvonne Element. Andy was in the height of his career, just uh, left Booga Booga to do his, you know, his stand-up uh, special. And I saw a guy make 3,000 people laugh. And I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, I was a kid that at parties, my dad, I used to impersonate people. I used to impersonate Howard Cosell. I used to impersonate John Wayne. And I used to do, you know, Howard Cosell doing a boxing match in the housing. And kids used to gather around me. And as I go, this says Howard Cosell here at building three as Afatia Talafalava fights, the, you know, and, and kids used to crack up and laugh. Right. And I saw Andy perform and I was blown away. And I knew right there what I wanted to become. I wanted to be a stand-up comic. And my auntie, uh, who's my godmother, took me to like Crest Store. Remember Crest Store in Maui and bought me um, cassette tapes while I was there in the summer of, you know, George Carlin, Bill Cosby. And then I discovered Booga Booga. My cousins had a Booga Booga album. And because had, you know, adult content on the album, I would get the big ear. Remember those big earphones <laughs> that like come out to about this big? And I would spend days just listening to Booga Booga and all the swear words. And I would la I be laughing and I mimicked Rap Replinger. I could mimic. I knew every word. I knew every skit. And uh, that was kind of the liftoff of, you know, making the kids in my neighborhood laughing it got me out of a lot of fights, you know, being a funny guy. And in the eighth grade, I was messing up in English and a teacher, Miss Murakami. And there are so many people that guided me in going into the right direction. And I was messing up in school and she pulled me on the side. And I, I love this lady to death because, um, you know, my dad was a raging alcoholic and uh, my mom was very loving. So it was very dysfunctional, my family. And she knew, you know, what maybe a lot of people knew, but never come out and say, mm -hmm. you know, she mm -hmm. said, you know, I think you're somebody special. I believe in you. And that's the first time I heard anybody outside of my family, you know, uh, say something to me that would affect me and, and move my heart. And she said, I want you to enter the speech contest. And I was like, speech contest? I, I don't know. <laughs> Something the nerds, right? Only the nerds do speech contests. <laughs> but because she was so passionate about wanting to help me and the fact that she said she believed in me, um, she spent time with me after school. And that's why I 
really admire teachers that go above and beyond because I now speak at different schools and, mm -hmm. and I tell them, you know, your worst day could be the most amazing day for a kid that's like me challenged by life, mm -hmm. not having the most of everything, but all they need is hope. Mm -hmm. You know, all they need is a little encouragement. And uh, she took some time out of her schedule to meet with me after school to help me do my speech. And uh, I went out to do room service, Rep Replinger, right? And yes. is it something that I wanted to do? But she wanted to challenge me on speaking good English. And Rep Replinger's room service, you had to play the Howley guy and the, and the <laughs> local auntie. Right. And she would spend time with me. And I remember getting into the cafeteria, eighth grade. And I always tell students when I tell this story, you know, what happens when you rehearse? What happens when people believe in you? Man, there's a fire. There's a desire to really do well. And I walked into the cafeteria that morning and the curtains was closed. And behind the curtain was all the kids that I never associate with. <laughs> Right? All the kids that made fun of me because I was dyslexic, I never paid attention, all the nerdy kids. And they were kind of looking at me like, what are you doing here? And in my head, I was like, you let me punch your face now or after, you know, but because I was ready and because I was confident, uh, I was ready to like prove them wrong. And that's kind of like where it started for me when people doubted. Mm -hmm. And people said, you cannot. That's when I knew with faith, with people believing in you, with confidence that you can do anything that's possible. You know, and I, I'm so thankful for moments like that. And I remember, you know, like just feeling like a, a million bucks. And then the curtain opens. Now there's 800 kids, no intermediate school. And they see me sitting on stage. And in the back of the room, all my neighborhood friends from the housing was like, Aki, get off the stage. <laughs> you will get busted. Get off the stage. And even them was like, what are you doing? <laughs> they, they thought I was just messing around because I was that guy. And I was like, no, I belong. <laughs> you know? But like, you know, the most amazing thing happens, you know, when your friends and your family see you step outside the box and do something that's so out of the ordinary, you know, of course they're skeptical, but then behind all of that is like, yes, somebody from our neighborhood, somebody that shouldn't be up, it's up there stepping outside the box, doing something so out of the ordinary. And I remember when, the MC and all you guys remember the uh, intermediate or elementary uh, MC was, you know, really a nerdy kid that said, today it's speech contest. We have contestants doing dramatic interpretation, humorous interpretation, always the same, right? <laughs> and coming up to do humorous interpretation is Augie Toba. And I just remember the whole back of the audience was like, yeah. And I got up 
Yeah. I was confident because somebody believed in me. I saw Miss Murakami. She gave me the whole, you know, and I remember doing housekeeping. Oh, no, no, Chahicho, hey, you punk, show me off. Room service, can I help you? Uh, this is Mr. Fogarty, room 1225. I'd like to order some dinner and have a sit up to my room. And what room was that? Room 1225. Oh, one more time, please. 1225. And I won the speech contest. That That is a huge feat. And I mean, it's so inspirational and motivational. And I got to be full disclosure. Like I've heard you give this speech before. So I love it. Every time you give this impersonation, do the whole room service bit. And I mean, it's so interesting to hear, like even in elementary school, you knew that you wanted to do comedy. Yeah. And for for kids, you know, sometimes it's like, I think a lot of times if they have these big dreams, Sometimes we push it to the side because we think, oh, you know, they don't really know exactly what they want. But for you, you knew exactly what you wanted. And oh, with a little push, step. right? With a little push. And I just remember how it made me feel walking home, you know, with my trophy and everybody wanting to touch them and feel them, you know. And that, and what happened was, and I tell students this, like I made like lifelong friends with the kids behind a curtain because in some crazy way, you know, now we're relatable because we love doing this performance art called, you know, speech. And, you know, pretty soon, like I had friends that wasn't just from my neighborhood and was weird because I remember going through phases like, you know, uh, I don't like hanging around with these guys. So, you know, a bunch of new friends would come up and I would go to school with and everybody look at me like, how come you hanging out with them? Because, man, I need help on my homework. Shut up. I know what I'm doing. But, you know, uh, that really taught me some valuable lessons. And then getting into boxing, having a, an amazing coach that dedicated his life and his self to helping, you know, kids in my neighborhood, you know, uh, train at their highest level. My coach, Donald Sark. At 15, or even before that, he just said, you know, if you came into the gym early every day and you went and you finished after everybody else left, uh, you are going to be an amazing boxer. And that's all I needed. And because I understood that concept of Mm -hmm. belief, you know, from Mm -hmm. my eighth grade teacher, you know, so it, it really helped shape who I am as a person and that. Um, if you work hard and you dedicate yourself and you don't half-ass it, you, mm-hmm. you do your best and you work hard, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. It's just, yeah, you, you know, did it's your be good. Yeah. yeah. And, so growing up, back backtracking a little bit, when you said your dad in the summers sent you away, you know, outside of Kalihi, what were those summers like? Were you already getting into boxing or... What, what no. kind of things were you doing in those summers? As I got older, my of course, my cousins got older and they, you know, wasn't cool anymore because they were into girls and they, so I stopped going to Maui, you know, <laughs> but I started working. I started, you know, I, man, as soon as I knew that I could get on job, you know, I was like, I'm working. So they had this thing called the CETA program. So I started working at eighth grade. I was a I worked as a custodian at Kaivai Elementary School, a junior leader at uh, Susanna Wesley, later at Kalihi Valley. And my summers was work. I worked. 
Um, and then I discovered boxing, right, at the age of 12. And that consumed me. I enjoyed the aspect of a competition about hitting another person and then hitting you back. You know, there's a really, um, for me, a drive to do that. I know, like, I hate, as I got older, I hate the aspect of comp- competing because I knew at some point, you know, uh, you could get knocked out. Uh, but that adrenaline, that, that, that fire, you know, was like, whoo. And when I was young, it was fun. I loved putting on the glove and let's go. And, you know, it was, <laughs> how's that guy? I yeah. wanted, I love the aspects of boxing. And, uh, and my, my, my summers were, were amazing. You know, I, like I said, I, you know, I trained hard and, you know, by the time I was 13, 14 years old in the summers, I started not only working, but as I got older, I started flying away to box in different states. So, you know, my mom and dad would spend weeks selling Portuguese sausage. You remember when people did that? They came to your door and knocked on your door. You're like, buy sausage. You know, and you're like, buy sweet bread. Nobody does that anymore. But... <laughs> My mom and dad used to make us go, you know, you brother go box in the mainland. So all my brothers would knock on people's like, you like my sausage? You like my, you remember candy? You used to sell candies. <laughs> and it was a family effort because my parents, I think, knew that I had potential and my brothers all had potential. So my dad became very protective on what we did. You know, we were a family, a tight-knit family. My brothers and I, we all, you know, and my cousins, we had a, like a, a, a big family that went to the gym and everybody knew that's the, the crazy family that boxed in Kali. <laughs> so yeah. wonderful, man. We, uh, I had an amazing childhood. And, you know, uh, uh, when I say amazing, a very dysfunctional childhood. And I think that helped me as a comic later on that was going to be my next question because it's all of these life experiences right and we hear it in all of your bits throughout the years the shows everything that you put on even the augie tv show right we hear all of the things your experiences growing up we hear about the boxing and all of this but how has everything in your childhood how much of that did you pull over for your material for comedy almost 100 percent you know, I, I, I knew early on what I, um, you know, Andy had a style, right? Andy had a very unique style that was, uh, he was like Hoy's first stand-up comic, clean, you know, polish. And he had this swagger, right? And then we saw Booga Booga. Booga Booga was, you know, it very uh, college educated. They did skits and uh, you know, and then you had Frank DeLima who did music parody. And then you had Uncle Mel Kabang who was like Don Rickles that would rip everybody that comes into the club. And what made Hawaii unique is that these guys are so iconic that it was almost impossible unless you created something different. So everybody always compared you to somebody else. So as I started my comedy career, you know, people would say, oh, man, you remind me so much of rap. Oh, you remind me so much of Andy. And I would always say, but I'm not them. You know, I'm Augie. And then I had to compete with guys like uh, Bulaia, who was like doing like outrageous stuff. And I was like, when going to be my turn? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I need to uh, 
you know, wash dishes in the in the tub and to get laughs, you know. Uh, and I just knew that my time was coming, and I wanted to bring a different perspective to my comedy. I wanted to be at one point the the Eddie Murphy of Hawaii until I met Andy Bumatai. And yeah. Andy said, I think you have something special, uh, but you got to stop swearing. Because if you saw me in the beginning uh-huh. of uh, my comedy career, I was, I wanted to be the guy from the housing, the guy that, you know, you all knew, you know, uh, bad mouth, you know. Uh-huh. But Andy told me and pulled me to the side at that time, you know, it's like, if you gonna make money in Hawaii, you got to work clean. You know, yeah. so uh, I'm very thankful to Andy, you know, and even, you know, like Booga Booga and, you know, after my first um, audition at the Honolulu Comedy Club, and this is where, like, when you put it out in the universe, the universe listens, mm-hmm. okay? It's the God's honest truth. I auditioned at the Honolulu Comedy Club, the comedy club owner, um at the time said, I don't understand anything you're saying because he was from New York, Jew, right? I don't understand anything you're saying, but you're making people laugh, so come back. (laughs) So after two weeks of emceeing the comedy club in Waikiki, they had a gig, a private gig out in Waianae, and the comics didn't want to go to Waianae. I lived in Waianae at that time. I was like, (laughs) I'll do it. (laughs) And, uh, and guess who was the opening? And guess who was the featured main um, comic? Who was that? Andy Bumatai. Oh. Right? So, yeah. like, my world's connected. But here's the crazy part. Kids of people listening. About two weeks before that, I work, I'm working at Kapiolani Medical Center. Andy comes into the hospital because his wife is going through difficulties um, and has to do a DNC because, you know, we, Andy talked about this story. It was a very tough time that evening. And here comes dummy, right? A working graveyard shift, pulling my machine out. I go, oh, that's Andy Pumadai. And mind you, I was already doing MC work for a week. I was like, and so I passed him by like five times. (laughs) As I knew that was him. And he kind of looked at me and went, Dude, you like talk. Let's talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, I was so starstruck, you know, and I told him, I like you a comic. And Andy tell you the story that everybody that talks to him, tell them they like be comic. So he was like, ah, oh, it's just another guy who, you know, wants to do comedy. And we end up talking and he ended up writing my first real bit, my yeah. first real setup punchline bit. Yeah. yeah. And it was about, because I told this story of a local guy falling in the elevator shaft at KPT. True story. Okay. Right? And he was laughing. And he said, ah, yeah, because in Kali, that's Samoan bungee jumping. <laughs> but the guy that fell on the elevator shaft wasn't Samoan. was a Filipino guy. But he lived because he had two chickens under his arm. Ta-da-ta! <laughs> you know what I mean? So... That was my, my first setup punchline bit that Andy helped me through, not knowing that a week and a half later, yeah, he was gonna see me in YNI. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, that's the guy I was just talking to at the <laughs> hospital. 
So he invited me to be his opening act. Oh. So I started like opening for Andy, not even four weeks into doing comedy in Waikiki. But in that, in that period, in that short six week period, I meet the guys that spurred me on as an eight and nine year. I met Booga Booga. <laughs> you know, and I never, you know, I was like, holy smoke. <laughs> So I find a way to finagle my way into trying to do something with them. You know, I go, hey, I'll I'll be your light guy. (laughs) So I was a light guy for their shows. And then when they found out that I could impersonate rap, guess what happened? Yeah, they asked you. Yeah, I became their opening act. And then Andy takes me to a trip on Kauai. I bump it. I meet Frank DeLima. And Malcolm Bang, and I'm like, holy smokes. <laughs> Hello. What's going on, people? This is it's crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. It's crazy how everything lines up and Correct. so fast, right? So was this in like in high school still yet? That no, all of this I was happened? like, I had I was still fighting professional. I was trying to I was finding myself at that time. Mm. I had uh turned professional at 18 years old because I made my girlfriend pregnant at that time. And my dad and mom was so disappointed. I had a free scholarship to go to college. Everything was in front of me. Everything was laid out. All I had to do was just discipline myself and, and work hard. And unfortunately I discovered girls. Right. And I was, I was around, this is where like, you know, as an amateur boxer, Mm-hmm. In 15, 16 years old, I was around a lot of men. And mm-hmm. I saw a lot of men do a lot of dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I was <laughs> I was, you know, I was uh, fascinated by some of the things they did. And I, you know, um I I made my girlfriend pregnant. And I just remember my teachers all feeling so disappointed that, mm-hmm. you know, but I took responsibility. Um, I said, for the betterment of my family, and I'm wanting to, you know, give my son my name, turn professional. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I already had, I started working at Capilani Medical, like at 16 years old, mm-hmm. because uh, I needed to, mm-hmm. because I had made my girlfriend pregnant when I was at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worked at the medical center. And as soon as I turned 18 years old, I turned professional. Got it. So, yeah. And I had 141 fights all together. Uh, I had six professional fights in that 141 fights. And uh, yeah, after my six professional fight, I was like, I, I'm not passionate about this anymore. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't going to make enough money for taking my family. So I just, you know, I went on. I became like everybody. I, I went to a job that I loved, that took care of my family. I was able to purchase my first home at like 23, mm-hmm. you know, because of hard work and because I took responsibility for my mistakes. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, I found comedy. Yeah. Let's talk about the boxing a little bit because you've trained so long, right? From 12 to like after 18, right? And I mean, a lot of the things that probably drive and shape your work ethic and how you're, you know, accountable and just work through hard, work through these obstacles. I bet a lot of that is influenced by training for boxing. 
Because I mean, mm-hmm. that's what boxing is, right? No one else is in there with in in there with you in the ring. It's just you, you know. Like if you are not performing, if it's an off night or whatever, you got to figure out what am I going to do to adjust, right? That's kind that's of life, you know. I mean, it helped me honestly with stand up because you know I still I still get nervous, but not as nervous as you know walking into the ring, even if you prepared a hundred percent, there's this amazing fear, adrenaline of fear as you walk in. And that's what I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for like a Hollywood movie where, you know, you can, you can actually hear that guy's heartbeat. You can hear him <laughs> panicking, you know, as he make his way. And I remember all that feeling, mm-hmm. you know, I know like in the back of my mind, I might have not trained as hard. Oh my God. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a crazy it's hard for me to explain, but like, it's almost euphoric. Like I'm not there. Yeah. You know, it's like, you can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's like really muffled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, yeah. Cause I'm already thinking like, did I prepare? Am I ready? Yeah. Am I full? And I'm looking at my opponent across the ring and all I can see is like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then, I'm watching the referee look at the judges and it's all slow motion. Mm-hmm. And then I, I can see the guy with the bell go. Yeah. And then as soon as boom, he touching everything. It's back yeah. to normal. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's the most amazing and crazy adrenaline. And if you're not prepared, and that's why I said during this campaign, people are worried about my experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, you know, there's a first round to everything. Yes. Everything. And yes. if you're not prepared, and if you're not ready to handle that first <laughs> round, you know what the consequences are. I don't have to tell you that. Yeah. You know, it's not like I never know that coming into this new roller coaster ride that people was going to criticize me mm-hmm. that you know uh well he's a comic he doesn't you know uh who gonna hire a comedian you know uh but they knew and they never know the story yep. they never know the the backstory mm-hmm. and the backstory is an amazing story of uh hope mm-hmm. Uh, amazing story of determination, uh, an amazing story of loss, mm-hmm. you know, um, losing taught me more about life than winning, Yes, you know, and um, relationships, you know, I lost my brother in the height of my boxing career, mm-hmm. you know, someone who inspired me to box, you know, we did everything together. I told you we had a tight knit family. My brothers, you know, we protected mm-hmm. each other. And my brother drifted off and did, you know, um, things that he's not supposed to. He ended up killing himself and, you know, started using drugs. And that's why, like, when I hear people make excuses of where they're from, I don't hear, like, hey, uh, I knew that could happen, you know, because five brothers lived in the same house. We all chose to do our, we were all walked in our own paths, mm-hmm. you know, and we all took responsibility, you know, for good, bad and miserable. Like, you mm-hmm. know, my brother, so it was easy for me to accept. Was it hard? Definitely. I love my brother to death. You know, it was hard for me 
to even talk about it, you know, maybe up until like maybe five, six years ago when I started talking about how they affected me, you know, the loss of my brother. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, man, boxing in that time really, really um, taught me more than just competition. It really taught me values in life. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so I'm thankful, man, for those, you know, those early morning runs. Uh, yeah. Those, That's what I was going to ask you, too, is that, I mean, I think for everybody, you know, all of the obstacles, the adversity, you know, that's really where you grow the most, right? And everyone has their own story, like you said. Mm-hmm. And it's your story with filled with all of these things that has shaped you to not only be successful as a comedian in the Hawaii community, but also do greater and bigger things in the future too, you know, serving the communities and things like that. But let's talk a little bit about the boxing training. Because, you know, like that's the there's a huge mental component to the training. I mean, yeah. everything physical, of course, too, but out of the boxing training, what was your lifestyle? Like, I mean, you were a professional boxer at one point. So what was your lifestyle? Like, because a lot of this probably parallels with just life in general moving. Right. Forward. Well, I fought at 106 pounds. Can you imagine that <laughs> up until I graduated from high school, you know, uh, I was 106 pounds. So when I look at my fat self in the mirror, you know, I remember those days when it was lean, but I was really skinny. I was a lanky guy, you know, um, and it took discipline, man. There's, there are days where like, you know, ah, you know, but I knew that if I didn't train as hard as anybody else in that gym, uh, it was going to be, very challenging. I, I just hate losing too. You know, I hate losing. And I remember like I got, you know, I, I was pretty lucky. I've, I, I've lost, I don't know, 140 something fights, maybe 11, 12. Mm-hmm. So there's a side of me that's very competitive because I don't like losing. Uh, so it's super, I, my dad never had to tell me, wake up to go run, you know, <laughs> I saw Rocky and I went, I, I got to wake up early. I got to crack eggs. I got to swallow them. I got to run, <laughs> you know, nobody. And I think that's the thing. Like if you can discipline yourself to do things so that no one has to tell you, you just internally know that this is best for you. Uh, you, you know, you can do some amazing things. You don't have to be pushed. No one has to babysit you and, you know, uh, I think that's the biggest lesson, you know, uh, and if you uh, work hard as anybody else. Yeah. 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 You can Something do amazing do. things. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you, you mentioned it a couple of times already is like, you know, just someone believing in you, having that hope that you could achieve more than what you probably could have imagined for yourself, right? That was what fueled you. But think about all of those years that you were training. Was there anything else that you thought, this was what really kept me going? Losing. <laughs> Just not wanting to lose. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, yeah. A, there's a high to winning. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and now when I look back, an amazing lesson in losing. I, I posted a bunch of stuff while I was running for office and the, the understanding of loss, right? Losing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never hear, we get more great things happen in our life than bad things, but you only remember the bad things. <laughs> you notice that? You only, 
It's like you never remember the most awesomest things you always remember. I mean, yeah, I remember that day that I came home and that guy stole my slipper. You know, it's like, yeah. But you never remember the joy of buying the slipper. Yeah. Ooh, I get to cut the plastic. This is my, oh, I like the smell of this uh, rubber zoris. You know, you never remember that. You just remember the guy either that went break your slipper, throw your slipper on the roof, or stole your slipper. You know, the joy of buying it, looking at them, cutting it, putting them on, and go, this feels nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was uh, losing, mm-hmm. losing, looking at my dad shake his head, you know, oh. I cannot believe you lost. <laughs> Yeah. But it made me want to like, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna show you yeah. the next day. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it used to be like I remember like I wanted to win. Oh, I forget who was fighting. But I was cry I was crying and my dad kind of just looked at me and was like, What are you crying for? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I thought he was gonna be mad at me. I thought he was gonna be mad at me. He goes, Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Because I really wanted to win. Well, you cannot win it all. And my dad wasn't this, you know, a person that, you know, had amazing um, ability to pull people in with his speech. You know, he was like, what are you grateful? You know, you did good. You did good. I'm proud of you. You just go train a little bit more harder. And that's, and you know, for me, that's all I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. But my dad was a certain way, and I thought, oh, man, I failed. I failed, right? But no, man, that was like, that's where my dad and I connected in my loss, mm-hmm. you know, because he saw me doing the world work. He saw me yeah. training every day. He had to remind me, you mm-hmm. know, and it was a way for pulling me in, like, hey, it's okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> you know, of course, I wanted the hug. Never got him. <laughs> that was definitely but I wanted, he never do that. But uh, in some crazy way, it, it, it brought my dad and I a little closer because I remember we'd come home and, you know, he'd be like, you know, you know, maybe if you did them this way, and he, you know, maybe we did them that way. But don't do them like my way because when I used to box, I got knocked out. <laughs> you know, and it was like, it was a fun conversation. You know, and it was a learning situation, but it was also a very important time for me. That was my bonding time with my dad. And like you mentioned before, you know, like these kind of times, right? It's the obstacles of loss, but it was more than just you learn what to do to progress forward in boxing, but you got that support, that bond from your dad, you know, definitely some tough love, which is a lot of local style, but you know, all of those things, it helps you to keep going, I think, in your journey. And I like how you said that, that's so true for all of us, myself included. You, you focus on the negative things, right? You don't remember the positive things so much. It's all the right. negative things. And I mean, especially now it's tough times, right? So speaking of that, what were some of the best memories you had in boxing? You know, always, you know, I was like, I think the first 16-year-old to win two amateur boxing tournaments the same year. Not only win, but win you know, uh, most valuable fighter of the competition. Winning the, winning the gold medal, um, you know, fighting 
in the finals at the Blazer Arena, you know, lights turned off. It's just yeah. you, right? Yeah. And then knocking the guy out, you know, in the final. <laughs> One guy who was, you know, seven years older than me. Mm. You know, uh, just great memories of winning, you know, um, getting to meet some really cool people like Mike Tyson and, you uh-huh. know, amateur boxing tournaments, guys like Roy Jones and, yeah. you know, looking at these guys who, you know, went on to do amazing things in boxing, you know, uh, being identified with that, that, that group of people, you know, that you saw at training camps, you know, it, you know, if they saw you and you talk to them, to them a little bit, they go, yeah, I remember you pineapple. Or my Tyson be like, yeah, man, I remember you. I, you're that little that boy from Hawaii. You know, yes. Yeah, and you know, he never remember, but you know, <laughs> uh, it's nice to just, you know, have gone through that kind of cool experience, you know, um, the rewards, the rewards of hard work and being able to go to places that you only imagined or dreamed of as a little kid, Mm -hmm. you know, because I grew up, you know, everybody knows star. I grew up poor. So being able to uh, be in places where you only see in books blew me away as, you know, as a a young boy from Kali, Mm -hmm. that's my, my great memorable moments. Yes. I mean, just experiences through all these, you know, whether it's boxing, whatever you're doing, it's the experiences that you hold on to and that help shape you who you are too. So let's fast forward a little bit. And, you know, obviously you had a lot of success in boxing, but then you kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, you started to lose that passion and have to figure out, you know, where did you want to go next? What was the next chapter in your life? And that's where you started working to support your family and everything. And, from there, transition us into, you know, we heard the story of how you met Andy Bumatai and everything, but transition us to how the comedy became full-blown mainstream. You know, we never had social media back then. We had word of mouth, right? Mm-hmm. It was a lot harder. Um, but when you live in an island, amazing things happen, right? So I was on a different management. I got asked to do comedy down in Laie. So I remind you, I already had opened up for like Andy and, you know, I was doing stuff, but nobody knew who I was, you know, but I went to Laie and I did comedy at Laie and because I grew up around a lot of Polynesians, you know, uh, they wasn't used to hearing a Filipino Portuguese guy do Samoan jokes. <laughs> okay. And that I thank the people of Laie for just spreading that wave you know, it went from Laie to Kaneoe, uh, Kaneoe to Kali, Kali to Waipau, and it, boom, it just, within weeks, yeah. you know, people were like, who's this guy? And I started getting calls, you know, for those shows. And then I, uh, my manager was there. I was managed by the same manager as Kapena. During Kapena's height, I mean, these guys were going to Samoa, Tonga, you know, South Pacific, and thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> so I was there that same night with Kapena, and the manager of Kapena came up to me and goes, dude, what I saw was amazing. I'm going to take you on an exploratory one-year management 
I'm going to have you open for Willie K. Yeah. Only like you do 10 minutes. Right? <laughs> and then, dude, very rarely do I, I did like open mics. I was already, you know, 10 minutes opening up for Capena. <laughs> you know, in Tahiti, 30,000 people. You know, we'd go Guam. 7,000 people. People are like, who's this guy? <laughs> who's this? You know? And I'm doing the Samoan Santa Claus. I'm talking about Samoan guys falling through, you know, uh, the elevator shaft. I'm talking about, you know, Mahu's beating me up. I never talked about my son yet, but I talked about how Mahu's used to beat me up. I talked about taking a dump in my pants. And, and what happened was every time I went to some place in the South Pacific or went to, I would pick up on stuff that was happening then I would make comedy about that, right? And man, you know, working with Ken Thompson, Capenna, Willie K, and you know, we had, these guys were like selling out Waikiki weekly, gigging, you know, um, it got me, the doors opened. And then Andy introduced me to Lanai even Lanai was like, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, he never thought that I was funny. I knew, I, 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 I was like, I know I'm funny, right? He never thought. And then we be, he invited me to come up to his show. And mind you, you know, radio wasn't ready for a guy that spoke pigeon. And I wanted to be me. I never wanted to be anybody else. I never wanted to be, you know... I only was hit music station. I never like be that guy. I wanted to be, you know, Augie because I doing radio wasn't my thing. I wanted to do stand up comedy. I had this character that I was. I was Augie, the guy from the housing, the guy that's happy, the guy that told stories, you know. And I don't know if there was ready for that. I don't know mm -hmm. if people was ready for somebody to talk pigeon twenty something <laughs> years ago on radio and you know like full on. The way I did it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, even when you were doing Lanai and Augie, I mean, the show was hilarious, you know? All yeah. of these things, it ex you like exploded, right? With doing all of these opening acts, starting to get shows, the radio, TV eventually. You know, think about when you first started, I guess. What was some of the obstacles that you had to learn from that really helped the rest of your career? Honestly, like, like this... You know, a lot of people didn't believe uh, mm. I had to deal with, you know, uh, you only could relate to a certain part of a community, which I always mm. thought was like, so racist. That's why, you know, when I talked about like, you know, Hawaii, like we super racist. Yeah, we're the melting pot, but we super racist. And I would hear that so much. Like, why can't I relate to the Japanese guy in Pro City? He has friends like me. How can I? Connect, how come I cannot connect with the Holy guy that lives in Hawaii? Kai? But there was this perception, mm -hmm. you know, that kept us divided. You heard that, yeah. you know, people that live in Kali never go to Hawaii. Kai. People live in Waianae never really gets to go. You know, they, it's like, come on, man. You know, I didn't believe that. I knew that I could relate to everybody. Mm -hmm. because when you're genuine and you're real and you are not putting on one act, that's what mm -hmm. people connect to. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it's social status, I understand there's that, mm -hmm. but like 
I have plenty of friends that rich that don't see me that way, mm-hmm. you know, but I get friends or I, I met people who were above me that looked down on me and I understand that, but there's more of you and I that yeah. <laughs> talk and relate in that, you know, and that used to make me sick because mm-hmm. in order to move up, you almost have to believe that. And I never like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. no, yeah. I don't have to speak a certain way to be successful. Yeah. I believe in myself because yeah. somebody believed in me. Yes. So it goes back to that again. Yeah. No one can stop you from doing anything, Augie, if you put your heart and your soul into it. Yeah. So when I heard that, oh man, there are many times like, do these guys know that I used to box <laughs> somebody's executive? <laughs> like there are many times in my head, I was like, I'm going to go outside right now because what he's saying pissing me off you're being racist right now <laughs> you know, I used to have guys tell me well I don't think Augie I like you you're funny but I don't know if you can relate to the people out in Hawaii Kai and I used to like yeah. you know like what are you talking about yeah exactly in a bubble yeah are you living in a bubble yeah you know I know that exists but come on man yeah. you know what I mean we get there's more of us yeah. than you. Yeah. You live in a special class that only hang around with a special kind of people. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought it was like really um, in, uh, disingenuous. Yeah. How does that help us grow as people? And, you know, if we think that way. Yeah. All as I worry about the people on Waianae, you only cater to the people on in Waianae. Wow. Yeah. Really? And I think seeing your career too, that's the one thing. You are extremely relatable. Doesn't matter. I mean, I know everybody that it's like a household name already, Augie T, you know, and all of us can relate to you. And I think it's that human connection again. You know, it doesn't matter ethnicity, social class. I mean, yes, those things are factors in society. But like you said, just connecting with each other, that's just, you know, just be relatable, be genuine. I even heard that, I even heard that during this election. Like, you mm-hmm. know, our toughest time will be Mililani. I got to deal with this again? Really? <laughs> yeah. No, man. What does the shirt say? Yeah. For Augie? Yes. I value your opinion, but mm-hmm. if you're that smart, why you no run? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I heard plenty of that, Andrew. Yeah. And all these amazing people tell me amazing yeah. things. And I was mm-hmm. like, in my head, all I could think about is like, man, if you get all the ideas and you think yeah. that way, why you don't run? <laughs> yes. For many of this, hey, mahalo. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, I started early in the campaign because I wanted people to hear that story because, you know, they're so used to seeing me on cheap eats with Guy Hoggy <laughs> when they saw me do a skit, when they went and saw me do stand-up, but they never know about the mm-hmm. 16 years at Kapiolani Medical, mm-hmm. raising my family, putting my kids to school. Mm-hmm. They didn't ever hear about, you know, my own personal challenges with life. Yep. The sacrificing so that my kids could get better. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter, my kids being bullied, starting mm-hmm. their own foundation because yeah. they believe in themselves and we provide them that comfort and that support so that they can become amazing humans. Mm-hmm. So this world 
you know, can be a better place for you and me. But I felt that it was so important for me to knock on people's doors. And, you know, prior to COVID, I did 10,000 doors at you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. people thought it was a joke. You know, um, people criticized and said mean things. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the reason why we're at where we're at. Mm-hmm. You know, we got to stop um, looking down, being disrespectful. Yes. You know, we live in a government and a society that allows every single one of us to step outside the box and become a public servant, help out in your community, clean your area, mm-hmm. uh, and not rely on government. But if you really want to make a difference, then step outside the box. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just was brutal. Mm-hmm. It was brutal. A year and a half of, you know, you would hear it on the news. Comedian. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because me being a comic really helped my mm-hmm. family, sustained my family, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's not easy, you know, staying relevant for 28 years. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Being able to still, still put Okolis in the seat and being relatable, being able to look at the world and go, I can make that funny. Mm-hmm. Let me find funny in that crazy thing that's happening. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell people now, just look at the crazy thing and go, how do I solve the problem? Mm-hmm. With yeah. common sense. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. It was, um, you know, you. I got to see the really good side of people and I saw the ugly side. Mm-hmm. You know, and, um, you know, there's a side of me that it's okay with all of that because of all the adversities I had to go through mm-hmm. uh, growing up. You know what I mean? I know I'm not going to always uh, maybe make the right decisions. I know that, not everybody going to like me, but at the end of the day, if I stay true to myself mm-hmm. and I do what I feel is right for my community and I hear what they have to say, I will always sleep well, Andrew. Yes. And I have no problem coming back with you on this podcast so you can go, hey, you didn't change. <laughs> no, no. I know that's not going to happen. But I mean, all of your experiences, like you said, people just don't know the experiences, the all of the things you had to overcome. And I think that's what, I, I mean, I know for sure that's what made you run, right? But it's also what will help you to serve the people. And that's what it's about. And I can tell that's what you you strive to do is pay it forward, you know, help others, listen, and just bring the community together, especially during these times. And kind of on that note, talk a little bit about like, what some of your plans are in the near future. You know, I know there's a lot of things that's going on and you're very involved in the community. Even like you, you mentioned your daughter's community. I mean, your daughter's uh, organization that she started, you know, it's all of these things that are just promoting just positivity. Like you said, you know, bringing people together. And I think that's what I especially like about all of the things that you're doing. Again, it's beyond the comedy, right? Comedy is always a part of who you are to relate to people. But beyond that, you're trying to make a bigger difference and impact too. So explain a little bit about what you, what some of your goals in the near future are. Awesome. Thank you so much for asking about that. Um, 
you know, even while I was doing comedy, I was able to, you know, send kids to school. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I learned early on in life, you know, from my dad who didn't have much, that if you do something good, you don't need brag, boy. You don't need to tell everybody everything. You do it because you do it from over here, right? Yes. So, like, you know, go investigate, go on, you know, Yahoo and go, what has Augie done? You know, and I'm proud of the fact that I was an entertainer for 28 years. You know, I got to send kids to school, you know, raise money for churches, organizations, uh, clubs, you know, and that brought more joy sometimes than, you know, some of the big shows I've done. <laughs> you know, when you raise money for, you know, high school, I think, one time we raised about $6,000 doing a comedy show for Waipahu High School. And I remember, you know, the coaches so happy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we can buy the kids some equipment and, you know, we can get them some shoes. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why, you know, uh, I love Frank DeLima. You know what he's done. Um, I never wanted to be Frank DeLima. But when you have an overachieving daughter that... Um, Cause you know you can use a celebrity the other way, you know you can help. <laughs> <laughs> you know Frank DeLima does it. You should do it too. You know, uh, uh, we started. You know, I started working with my daughter in uh, the community, and the last six years working with her has really uh, made me more empathetic. I have a hard time writing comedy now. I love comedy. I always will find something funny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at our state of our community, you know, Eva and Waipau, you know, largest unemployment rate. Um, during the election, I didn't tell anybody because I don't not I don't want I want I don't want anybody to take, you know, that I was some sort of victim. You know, oh he he want people to feel sorry for him. Mm. But the day I made my announcement you know, after working six months hard, knocking on doors, um, and just before COVID hit, the day I made my announcement, the radio station that I worked for, that I made money for, fired me. Mm. I've never been fired or let go. Mm. You know, and that was devastating because for me, it was the perfect storm. I mean, yeah. I got a job, I can campaign, you know, I take care of my family because campaigning takes a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. You got to fundraise and you got to do all these things to, you know, to, to, to stay on pace. Yeah. I lost my job. Yeah. I lost my job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how am I going to support my family? Yeah. And like, okay, I'm going back to do comedy. Mind you, I told people in March that I was going to stop doing I did mm-hmm. Augie's, uh, you know, last stand, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but the thing that always sustained my family was stand up. Okay. Okay. All right. I lost my radio job. Go back do comedy. COVID hit. What happens? No shows. shut down. Yeah. No shows. So now I'm panicking. You know, I'm going. Do I stop campaigning and just go back to work? Mm-hmm. And I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. And I knew like, well, people are gonna say I was just doing it as a publicity stunt so I can go back do comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, I six months of knocking on people's doors, telling people why I'm passionate about running, but my family, man, how can I support my family? But you know, my mom pitched in, my daughters, 
they delivered groceries by my wife and my daughters delivered mm. groceries. I worked security in the mid in the graveyard shift. So when, you know, uh, my opponent said, Oh, he doesn't want to debate. You know, I'm like, dude, I got to go work. I don't want to have a campaign. You get anyone paycheck. Yeah. You're a retired politician. I got to mm-hmm. go work. Mm-hmm. But if I said that, Oh, he wants us to feel sorry, but that was the reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had to go work. Yeah. But I kept quiet, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Kept quiet. I never get engaged in the the ridiculousness of um, campaigning. Yeah. I said I'm gonna stay po- focused. Mm-hmm. My family's taken care of. You know, my we're gonna get. We're going. We're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. I will find a way for us to be okay. Yeah. And I just kept my. You know, in boxing, they tell you, keep your chin down, keep your hands up, keep yourself protected. Mm-hmm. That's all I did. Yeah. Head down, you know, hands up yeah. and move forward. Yeah. You know, and stayed positive, ran a positive campaign, worked harder than my opponent, knocked on doors. And, I, you know, every week I was coming home and have a flyer. I was like, oh, <laughs> I can't even afford one flyer. Had flies every week. Every week, I oh. saw more flies from this guy than I saw the twenty years that he was uh, leading my community. And I was like, "Oh my god!" Mm-hmm. And mind you, I have lots of respect for the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was in office for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. I get it, but like, I was so like, "Oh my goodness, how am I gonna do this?" Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you get up earlier than everybody else. You yeah. plan ahead. You you knock on doors. You talk to people. You know, you pray to God. Many nights in the mm-hmm. middle of the night, I was praying, asking God for strength, asking mm-hmm. God, can you help me stay focused? Can you make sure that you provide for my family? At mm-hmm. any moment, if anything happened, you know, to my family, that would be it. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody knew that, yeah. you know. And um, it made me into a better person. There's nothing more. And I want to do then um, represent my community well. So when you ask me what, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Andrew, we are in a, a, a tricky situation. We shortfall mm-hmm. in money, mm-hmm. you know, with millions and millions of dollars, you know, short. We know there's a lot of programs that are going to be cut. So, you know, my plan has always been the same plan that I ran on in the beginning. I'm going to be actively involved in a community. I'm going to ask people, if you live in my community, District 9, that's made of 157,000 people. Mm-hmm. It's time for us to all step outside the box and lead by example. You know, we cannot wait. You know, we have obviously learned how to manage time during COVID. We have obviously learned to work around things so we can sacrifice a little in taking care of our community, you know, um, picking up rubbish, maybe going door to door in the evening to make sure that everybody feels safe. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we got to go and do graffiti clean up, whatever. Mm-hmm. We will find a way. And I think this is the time where we need to all come together to, to unify and and believe that things gonna get better. Like, dude, I am so optimistic. I am so hopeful that 2021 will be the most amazing year because 
We've seen people rise up during this challenge, challenging time to do amazing things. Let's keep it going. Yes. Let's get back to work, but let's keep that, that spirit of giving. Let's keep that spirit of uh, community involvement. Mm-hmm. You know, and more importantly, let's be examples to our children. You know, that government is there to help, but we don't have to wait on government. We can do things and we can get things done if we all collaborate yeah. and work together. And that's my ultimate goal in the first year, lots of community involvement. You will see me in your community. Mm-hmm. You'll see me at your neighborhood boards. You can ask me questions. I have, a, I have an amazing staff of young, energetic, local uh, people that's, you know, hands-on. They know they have to fit me. They got to work around, you know, my craziness inside. Uh and my love for this community, you know, they have to have the same passion, you know, so I'm thankful, man. No, everything that you just said, I mean, that's great. And I know you're going to execute that plan and help everyone in the community. And like you said, it's unifying everybody, but I really like how, I mean, again, it goes back to that eighth grade, your teacher, Miss Murakami, right? But even the boxing, just, you know, you don't need to say everything that's going on, just you're doing the right thing. You're doing the best that you can keep your head down. Right. And you just keep plugging forward. And the one thing that if anything has shown anybody that listens to this or follows your career, you will find a way to get things done. You know, you're not just going to give up. It's called, it goes back to your fighting background. And if I make a mistake, I'll be the first one to apologize. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes in that, you know, there's so much to be learned from that. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we all make mistakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we all, you know, also don't step outside the box to to, to take responsibility. So, you know, be mindful of that when, you know, you attacking me on social media, when I become, you know, the city councilman in a couple of days. But I'm, look, I knew what the challenges was. Uh, my family was prepared um, I know that it's going to be challenging, even more challenging from when I first decided that I was going to run. But at the end of the day, like you said, man, you know, we love our community. You know, I want to see my kids' kids grow up here. Uh, I want to see families spending, you know, a lot more time with their kids. You know, that that would be like an almost most ultimate in my in my perfect world you know i would love to see families spend 15 get on 15 minutes earlier mm-hmm. so that they can spend time with their children mm-hmm. you know i love teachers but we cannot rely solely on the teachers in guiding you got to take responsibility mm-hmm. your children you yeah. know they will become like you you know they'll follow in your examples like yeah you know, do something, do something different, you know? So I love what I'm seeing, you know, with projects around, you know, my area, uh, in my district. Um, And, you know, I think, like I said earlier, if we can collaborate and when kids can see mom and dad picking up rubbish in the community, they're going to do the same thing. When they see mom and dad, you know, 
out there socializing with everybody in the park. They're going to do the same thing. You know, uh, when they see mom and dad enthusiastic about uh, coming home because, you know, they get to live, work, and play around the community, man, you know, that would be like the most amazing thing, you know? So I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. Uh, I'm thankful that, you know, we got this, uh, this moment, Andrew, thank you for being <laughs> persistent and uh, reaching out to me. I know. No, no, our schedules are just so busy, but I'm, I'm so thankful that you had the time to step on to and share your story. And this is just, you know, we can do many follow-ups in the future, just the tip of the iceberg. But I think for everyone, you know, just, follow your journey and if they ever need to reach out or where can they find more information about you? I know you have your website and social media. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Tony down a lot of things, you know, uh, you know, but you, uh, Augie um, you can listen to my radio show, you know, every morning on 96.7. It's so easy. I'm like the most easiest person to get a hold of. I, you know, and I, and I like to leave you guys with this. Uh, and it's my favorite quote. Uh, the best exercise for the heart is lifting one another up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if we can do that, you know, during these challenging times, uh, we're going to see a lot more good than bad, mm-hmm. you know? And when we look back at 2020, yeah, it was a really hectic year, but we, I think we remember how, high school students had to do graduation differently mm-hmm. and it made a difference how we mm-hmm. would step outside our box and drive to people's neighborhoods to deliver gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we saw how much people was fed mm-hmm. and I think you're going to look back and go 2020 was crazy, but a lot of great things happened during that mm-hmm. time. Yes. You know, yeah, we sometimes remember only the bad things, but I think in this case, you know, we're going to look back and go, I don't know. I remember some really cool things happening. Yes. So I'm thankful for 2020, Mm -hmm. but I'm very optimistic and I'm hopeful and I'm excited for everyone, including myself for 2021. We can do this together. The Island way. Oh, I cannot believe I went throw that one in right there. (laughs) Yeah. But great message, everyone. I mean, take this to heart and lift someone up, you know, strengthen your own heart, lift someone up. And yeah, we'll remember all of the, things that we had to overcome just to get through these times. And yeah, I'm with you. I hope 2021 is a great year and awesome. we'll talk again soon, you know, and I want, I'm excited hey, to see all of the great I things. Not, I would not be the person I am today without, you know, my amazing family. And mm-hmm. I know they're probably watching, but you know, thank you to my amazing wife and my, my children and my, my family, you know, my cousin, Joe and my brother Larry and my brother Ernie that, you know, we all reconnected during this time of campaigning. And there's so many awesome people. I worked with a small group of people, maybe mm-hmm. 25, Andrew, mm-hmm. 25, very loyal, hardworking people that believed. Thank you guys. You know, with COVID, we couldn't get the celebration party, you know, even in my inauguration, you know, I wasn't need to invite everybody, but you know, only my wife and my my mom is coming. Everybody else get to watch them on Olelo. But I just wanted to give them a big shout out, my family and you know, my friends. Thank you guys so much for believing in me. Uh, we will do amazing things together, I promise. 
Yes. And we look forward to all of that. But thanks so much again, Augie. It was excellent talking to you. And we wish you the best in the future. Thank you, brother.